Today at the end of our service, we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper together. And so if you did not get a chance to grab communion elements on your way in, if you just raise your hand um, and someone from our team would love to come and hand you those. Today we are continuing our series, O Come Emmanuel. And I don't know about you, but for me it feels like that prayer um, is more important than ever. When we, when we watch the words on the screen that come up for, for the hurting and for the wounded and for the broken, it seems to me um, that I just feel a weight of those. And so today, today's a hard message for me to preach. And it's not because it's a difficult text. It's a text I've been in many, many times and heard a lot throughout my life. But it's hard um, because Christmas feels different this year. And that may not be everybody, but where I, I want to be honest about where I'm coming at. When I look at what's happened over the past few weeks, um, there's a lot of hurt and there's a lot of pain. And the stories and the heartache and the brokenness um, makes it feel a little bit harder to talk about all the Christmassy things. And so maybe that's true for some of you. That maybe you feel the weight of being a parent when you have to have conversations with your kids that you never thought you should have to have with your kids. That your kids in school have to practice things that you thought kids shouldn't have to practice in school. Maybe some of you have loved ones who live out or are in close proximity to Oxford. And so you've had conversations about things that you never thought were possible. Or maybe for you it's not even the, the recent tragedies out in Oxford. But maybe for you it's other things. That maybe this is a Christmas, a first Christmas without a loved one. And so you're reminded um, that even in this season of joy that you're reminded of loss. Or maybe it's just been a difficult year for you. Maybe you're watching online and you've been incredibly lonely. And all of the family get-togethers are a reminder that you are alone. And so for many of us, Christmas can be a difficult season. And I think, I think most of us are aware of that in our mind. But it's not until we come face-to-face -face with that reality that we actually deal with it. That many of us know and acknowledge that Christmas can be a difficult season if you are experiencing loss or grief or trauma. But most of us just know that in our mind. And it's not until we enter into that season where we begin to feel the weight. The we feel the weight when the lights don't seem so joyous. That all the Christmas traditions feel a little bit harder. Because sometimes Christmas doesn't really feel merry or bright, does it? Sometimes peace is really hard to talk about at the time of Christmas because it feels like you're in dark. Sometimes the joy that we sing about is hard to sing about because you are hurting. And so maybe that's you. Maybe that's you because of the conversations, because of the stories you've heard, because of conversations you've had, because of the experience of your life. And so I want to give us two truths as we enter into the message before we even get to the text. But in the midst of a hard year, whether whatever the reason this might be a hard year for you, um, the first thing is that you're not alone. You don't hurt alone. You don't grieve alone. You don't question alone. And this is true because uh, on one hand, it's true because as you hurt, so do others. That you are filled, you are in a room filled with other believers who hurt. Some of them share the same hurts as you. Some of them hurt like you, but not for the same things. But also because as followers of Jesus, one of the central ideas of what it means to be a, a group of followers of Jesus is that we mourn with those who mourn. That we rejoice with those who rejoice. And so to not be alone means that even when your friends or other fellow followers 
of Jesus see you suffering. They suffer alongside of you, not because of their experience, but because of your experience. And so be reminded, in this, you are never alone. That Christ himself suffers alongside of you and with you, and he surrounds you with other believers who walk in it with you. And the second truth, which we'll lean in especially today, is Jesus' presence brings peace. And central to what we will lean into today in our text is before Jesus ever gave a sermon, before he ever called disciples, before he did miracles, Jesus showed up. And that when Jesus showed up, his presence did something. In fact, when he showed up, things continued to be difficult for people. The first century it continued to be an incredibly dark, dark world. But there was something about Jesus' arrival that, that brought light into the darkest of moments. And so today I want us to go to Luke chapter 2. If you've been around the church at all in, throughout your life, even if you've been a little bit in the church and then out of the church for a while, Luke 2 is the familiar Christmas story passage. And so if you'd open to Luke 2, I want to read um, just a section for that to help us understand the darkness in the world at the time of Jesus. I'll begin in chapter 2, verse 8. It says this, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Now what's fascinating to me about the Christmas story is those words we read are very familiar Christmas words to us. Words filled with peace and joy and hope. But in the first century, those words didn't mean the same things. In fact, for people in the first century, it was at the time of Jesus that peace didn't feel like peace. And good news didn't bring to mind good news. Instead, what it represented to them was oppression and hurting. Joy was complete opposite of what people were experiencing. Peace was a word that was used, but it was a word used by the Roman government. A, Rome, a word re referring to the Pax Romana, which looked nothing like peace as we would think of it. Instead, it would refer to oppression and military opposition and death. And so if for us today to talk about Christmas and joy and the happiness of the season feels out of sync, we are in great company. Because in the first century, as the angels brought great, good news of great joy, it felt completely out of sync with their experience. That their experience was darkness, their experience was hurting, their experience was loss and grief. A sense of waiting and waiting for hope, but everyone who always offered it failed to deliver. Maybe for you it feels out of sync. It feels out of sync because of what this holiday season will look like for you. Maybe it feels out of sync because trying to think about how to keep your kids safe in this world shouldn't have to be the primary concern of a parent in a season like this. Maybe it feels out of sync because you're reminded of people who've lost kids. Maybe you're reminded in the midst of the pain. Maybe it brings up all kinds of old traumas. And it feels out of sync. Christmas doesn't feel 
like Christmas. And maybe that's not where you find yourself in this, this season. And if that is the case, that is an incredible thing. But what I also know is true, most of us at some point in our life also have to wrestle with this tension. That at some point in some Christmas season, we have to wrestle with the tension, how do you find peace when all you can see is the dark? Now to understand the way Luke responds to this reality, it helps. There's one verse at the beginning of Luke chapter 2 that is really significant that is also easy to overlook. It says this, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Now not, this is not just to tell us part of the Christmas story that they're going to be and why they're traveling to Bethlehem. That's a part of it. But Luke also wants us to understand that Caesar Augustus is central to the Christmas story. And this is significant because Caesar Augustus' reign was actually considered to be an era of peace. He was celebrated and honored as the one who would bring peace to the entire world. The problem, though, is if you're alive at the first century, at the time of the birth of Jesus, and you are told that Caesar brings peace to the entire world, most likely what you experienced was not peace to the entire world. You experience the opposite. You experience your family not being able to provide for themselves. You experience the death of loved ones. You, feel, you experience military opposition. And so if you were in power with Caesar or Herod, that, then you were good. But if you were everybody else, the shepherds, the peasants, if you were Jewish, peace from Rome was never peaceful. And so when Luke says, in those days, Caesar Augustus, he's reminding people of the world at the time of Jesus. A world when people, instead of experiencing peace, they experienced it as military might. When they were told about peace, they experienced it as innocent children dying. And so for them, when they hear words like good news and great joy and peace, it takes on a different significance. Because they were, they were always hearing about the good news of Caesar and it never felt like good news. And they were being told about great joy that would come to them and it never came. They were told about a peace that would come, but the peace looked like bloodshed. These words take on new significance in the time of Caesar and Herod. And what is so, so challenging for those who were looking and waiting for the Messiah. As they were longing for peace, but they failed, they, co they continued to year after year have somebody make promises that they couldn't keep. Somebody would promise to them hope and they wouldn't get it. Somebody would promise to them peace and it wouldn't ever come. Somebody would promise to be the Savior and he wasn't the Savior. Now, interestingly enough, Caesar Augustus was referred to as a savior at that time. I want to read a little bit of an inscription that was from a decree to the Provincial Assembly of Asia. And so it's a little bit wordy, but as I read this, I want you to note in it the words that just sound really like Christmassy scripture language. Because there's a number of words in here that Luke is actually borrowing the kind of language he uses so that in a subversive way he can be speaking about a hope that is contrary to to Caesar. Here's what was written about Caesar. The most divine Caesar we should consider equal to the beginning of all things. For when everything was falling and tending toward dissolution, he restored it once more and gave to the world a new aspect. 
Caesar, the coming good fortune of all, the beginning of life and vitality. Right? You can almost hear it. It's almost like a psalm. Right? It's almost like a song of worship. It says, all cities unanimously adopt the birthday of divine Caesar as the beginning of the year. Now, how fascinating is that? At, at the time of Jesus' birth, they were celebrating the birth of Caesar as the, as the gift to the entire world. The providence which has regulated our whole existence has brought our life to the climax of perfection and giving to us Augustus being sent, right? Again, language, like he's a gift from God being sent to us and our descendants as a savior. And he has put an end to war and has set all things in order. Caesar has fulfilled all the hopes of earlier times. Again, prophetic language in surpassing all the benefactors who preceded him. And whereas finally the birthday of the God God, Augustus, has been for the whole world the beginning of good news concerning him. That word good news in Greek is the word euangelion, which is what we translate as gospel. Right? This is the language that is being used to describe Caesar and how they would celebrate his birth and the hope that he would bring in the first century. And so in the first century, as you begin to hear about this baby has been born, and it's using the same language, there are some immediate things that that Luke wants to contradict that Caesar offered, but that Jesus truly offers. Even Herod himself fits into the Christmas story in a very similar fashion. Herod, in the gospel according to Matthew, is building his own kingdom. And his kingdom is built to give worship and glory to Caesar. Yet it's the birth of Jesus that threatens Herod's kingdom, which leads to Herod that's saying anybody who is under the age of two should be killed. Right? Again, so bloodshed is the response to the threatening of, of Caesar's kingdom and his reign and his rule that supposedly was bringing peace to the entire world. See, Luke knows exactly what he's doing when he tells us the Christmas story. And it's subtle if you're unfamiliar with the first century world, but he does it intentionally to bring hope into the midst of a world that seemed like it was hopeless. To offer light in the midst of the darkness. Because Jesus arrives when good news isn't very good and peace isn't very peaceful. It's in that moment when Jesus shows up. It's in that pain when Jesus shows up. And when Jesus shows up, he offers his presence. And it's his presence as a helpless baby that threatens Caesar and Herod. That the response is their kingdoms are threatened and their kingdoms, which had wealth and power and armies, when, it, when they failed to deliver in giving people peace, a baby in a manger offered what no one else could. And so then that's when Luke uses this kind of language when he says, well, do not be afraid. And I bring you good news. Right? Notice, this is the same language that was used for Caesar. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Again, very intentional. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. One of the first creeds of the Christian church was Jesus is Lord. That was a statement against Caesar. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. But here's the thing about this. Even in the midst of all of this, the the message that the angels say, 
I can't help but wonder, how did it feel hearing that message? Because knowing the first century world, it still sounds like a scary, painful, broken world. And if you are hearing this message that I, I brought you good news that will cause great joy for all the people, but you know someone who died, it's really hard to believe that good news is good news. And when the angels say, do not be afraid, but you are worried for safety, it's really hard to not be afraid. When you experience loss and tragedy, when this Christmas is hard for you this year because of what you have experienced, it can be really hard to believe that this is still true. To believe that God is still with you. To believe that there is still such a thing as hope or peace or joy. But the reason why this is true is because peace is more than a feeling. It's not just about the emotion. Now, it certainly includes the emotion. That is a part of the way God wants to offer himself to us. But it's more than the emotion and feeling of the moment. Because let me tell you, the first century would have still been scary for for Mary, for Joseph, for anybody who lived at that time. But the courage they found was not from the feeling of peace. It was from the person called the Prince of Peace. The way they found hope was not by their circumstances. It was by a person who showed up. It includes feeling, but it's far more than that. The reason good news was different when Jesus offered it was because of who showed up, not because of the circumstances. In fact, we didn't see things change for a long time, and things continued to be hard as Jesus became an adult. And it continued to be hard after he died and rose again. It continued to be hard for the early church. It continues to be difficult. Why? Because we are reminded that in this world there is pain and there is heart. But Jesus offers something different in the midst of it by showing up. I love how Isaiah describes Jesus And he says it this way, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Right, when we describe peace as a person, this is what it refers to, Jesus showing up, being all of these things when we need it the most. And I don't know about you, but it's often in these dark moments That I need that kind of God. I need the God who is a wonderful counselor. Who I can sit on the chair and I can let him hear everything that's on my mind. That I can tell him the stories of the things that I've heard that I wish I could not think about. That I can curse at God and ask him, God, where were you? That's what a wonderful counselor does. He listens. And even in listening to that... The thing that changes for the wonderful counselor who listens to you ask God, where were you, is not his answer. It's his presence. He continues to be present in the midst of every hard question you could ask, of every, everything that you would want to say to God that you wouldn't dare say in church. And I don't know about you, but I need a mighty God. A God who is more powerful than all of it. A God who I know defeats evil. A God I know who can raise the dead. I desperately need that. 
I need a God who is an everlasting father. Who knows the pain of losing a child. And who can sit and weep and grieve. And I need a God who is the Prince of Peace. Because there's no explanations and there's no answers that somehow make it all feel better. So I just need peace to show up in a way that is completely outside of myself to do something that I can't. And that is what Jesus does in the midst of the darkness. In the first century, that's what happened. He showed up in a manger. Smelly and messy. He showed up right in the midst of it. Jesus offers peace in the midst of the darkness. And so I don't know what it looks like for you right now and what area of your life you feel like you are desperate for peace. I don't know what the pain is or what the trauma or what it is, but when you feel like darkness is too dark, the promise of Jesus is that he shows up. And when you're looking for answers and you feel like you can't get them, the promise of Jesus is that he shows up. And when you feel like God isn't good, because of what you've seen, the promise is that Jesus shows up. And that doesn't answer all the questions. It doesn't resolve all the tension. But what it means to have a God who is called Emmanuel is a God who shows up. Because it means he is with us. And so the question I have then is what do we do as followers of Jesus? If that's the reality of our world, that there continues to be darkness, how do we bring light to the darkness? John, in, in, in the Gospel of John, when he describes the birth of Jesus, he says this. He says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. In other words, no matter how dark it gets, the presence of Jesus makes things a little lighter. No matter how bad the story is, the presence of Jesus makes the world a little lighter. No matter how afraid you are, the presence of Jesus makes things a little lighter. That by showing up, Jesus brings light into whatever the dark places in your life are. And as followers of Jesus, he invites us to be a part of that. An incredible privilege and also one of the most difficult privileges that you will have as a follower of Jesus. To be the light in somebody else's darkness. A privilege that most of us would never want. But also one of the most valuable gifts that you can offer to another person is being a light in the darkness. That's why Matthew in chapter 5 describes the, the words, describes what we are as the church by saying you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. It's what we do. We show up. Just a couple of weeks ago, I remember having that conversation with our kids, explaining why we were going to a vigil. And said, this is what followers of Jesus do. We're not going to say anything, but there's a lot of people who are hurting and we show up. One of my privileges as a pastor here has been, is to lead an incredible team who has incredibly gifted people who have a heart to serve, who have been going out to Oxford, not because they have the answers or they feel qualified to do so. And I've watched incredible people show up 
to listen, to cry, to hug. When it gets dark, the church shows up. When things get hard, the church shows up. When people are scared, the church shows up. And I don't know about you, but it's in the moments of my life when it has been the most difficult to believe that there is a good God, that God placed people in my life strategically to remind me that God is good. That when I couldn't explain theologically the goodness of God, he put presence in front of me. Somebody else in the flesh that could be, be a reminder that God is here. That God is with me. And I believe it's in those moments that God is bringing his light to the darkest of places. Recently I was talking to our next gen team about just the gift of presence. And there was a, there's an author and rabbi by the name of Edwin Friedman who described um, what we offer this way. In his book, he describes leadership in an anxious world, which none of us would argue that, um, that that is our world. And in an anxious world, people tend to be hyper-reactive. They t tend to form tribes and herd really quickly. They look for quick solutions to everything. And the tendency in leadership or parenting or you name it is, well, if only we can get more information, if only I can read the right parenting book or get the right strategy, um, or come up with a new system, that will fix it all. And he describes the best thing a leader can do. He says, what counts is the leader's presence and being, not technique and know-how. And I think that's, that's one of the best descriptions of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The best thing that we can offer in a moment of pain and hurting and darkness is not the technique we have, it's not our know-how, it's our presence. It's simply showing up. The church shows up because Jesus showed up. When the world got dark and Rome abused power and blood was being shed, Jesus showed up. And when peace seemed like an impossible thing and, and those in authority seemed like they couldn't be trusted, Jesus showed up. And when those who trusted God were waiting and waiting and waiting and it all felt hopeless, Jesus showed up. And he showed up first, not with a sermon. He didn't have a teaching or calling disciples. His death and resurrection was hardly in sight for most people. He showed up as a baby. He showed up helpless. But somehow it was that presence that changed everything. And it's in the dark moments that many of you will feel incredibly helpless. Asking questions like, well, what do I say? What do I do? Am I prepared for this moment? But know this, when you show up helpless, you show up the same way Jesus did. Jesus showed up as a baby. Helpless. And it was his presence alone that had the power to offer peace. And you, as a follower of Jesus, when you show up helpless, you offer that same power because the light of Jesus lives in you. And so you show up, not with words or know-how, but with the presence of Christ. And that presence is offering to a person the Prince of Peace. As we end, I would like to, we are going to take a moment 
to prepare ourselves to celebrate the Lord's Supper. But before I begin to pray, I also want to make um, known a need for you guys. Um, we all show up in different ways, and some of us show up in ways in conversation. Some of us are using our gifts and experience to do it. Some of us show up financially. And so one of the things that I know is a need out in Oxford is there are a lot of kids who really need counseling. And so in conversations, um, one of the things that we keep hearing, um, and if any of you have ever looked for a counselor, you know that insurance and all of those things can be really, really difficult to do so. And that is a major barrier for a number of people. There are several counselors in our church who would love to help students. Um, we also know those students, as they are trying to find counselors and get into referrals, um, in the midst of a shortage already on counseling, finances is a barrier. And so I would love for you to be able to give to support that. We will be able to have ways to get that directly to students or with a partner um, church out in that area who is um, creating a, a fund and a process to help students who need counseling. Um, and so if you would love to give as a way to help students in Oxford or students' parents, um, you can do so at faithtroy.org slash Oxford. You can do it in the Church Center app as well as in the lobby after service. There will be baskets. You can just drop money in there. And all that money will go to help and support families. Um, and we know that the government is, is looking to find ways to help support. I also know what we can do as a church will get to people quicker and get them the help they need. Um, and so if you would be so generous on top of ways you've already been so generous, um, I would love for so many people um, who are even in this room who have been having conversations to be able to tell families we, we can help um, meet that need. And so let's pray, um, and then we'll prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Jesus, we thank you that you are a God who shows up, and who in the midst of pain, in the midst of loss, in the midst of darkness, that you show up and you bring the light. And so, Jesus, we pray that you would bring peace, that you would bring peace to us, that you would bring peace to those watching online, that you would bring peace to our friends and our family who have experienced loss this year. We pray that you would bring peace to Oxford and those students and their families. Um, we pray that your peace would overwhelm and surround people. We pray that as the church, we would be a church that shows up. And that by showing up, that we would offer your presence to the people around us. And Jesus, as we prepare to celebrate your presence in bread and wine and your, in the body and blood, we pray that you would bring to mind areas of sin, areas in our life where we have fallen short. We pray that we would confess those to you and that you would remind us of those so that we would hear your words and your promise. promise of Jesus for each and every one of you is that he shows up. No matter the pain, no matter the loss, no matter the suffering, no matter the sin, he always shows up. And so his promise to you this morning is that your sins are forgiven in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.